piano, so that's going to have to move. You know, a little thing about Highland, uh, uh, since you're here, um, is uh, when he was in college, he was a vocal major, part of it, right? Yeah. And, and, and he kind of sang here on the sly. You weren't supposed to be singing like that to protect those beautiful vocal cords, were you now, son? So, uh, not on the sly, but, but uh, they wanted to limit his beautiful voice. And so, gosh, we appreciate you just screaming to God. I love that. It's beautiful. So, that'll work. That's good. Um, the secret of... Oh, dude, there's a lot more people upstairs than I thought were going to be. One fan. Oh, oh well. I think cool. Think cool thoughts. Actually, the upstairs is air-conditioned. Little known secret. Oh, it must be broke. Sorry. <laughs> the uh, little-known secret of Christianity is that Jesus Christ is a treasure worth everything. That's it. That's it. I mean, we could be done now. We're not going to be, but we could be done now. That's it. The little-known secret is Jesus Christ is a treasure worth everything. It's not because you should be here on a hot Sunday, uh, Sunday morning. It's not because you have to give money or you have to do this and other thing. Christianity, the, the, the secret of Christianity is it's completely worth doing all those things and much more. It's not payment that you give for it. It's like falling in love. If, you, if you're totally enraptured with your woman like I am, then whatever you do, it's worth it completely. And so I hope you're here this morning to worship God. One of the reasons I bring that up is because uh, a couple weeks back, when Cor and I were in Seattle, the leadership team met, and we hired two new staff. Um, the way our constitution reads is that the senior pastor can bring to the leadership team new pastoral candidates, according to the budget, of course. We approved these people on the budget in January, and we brought two new people uh, for approval by the leadership team, and I want to introduce to you formally, maybe many of you know by now, our two new staff, go back one, was it there? We hired Jesus. <laughs> so, little known technology fact. If you save it on one computer, the change, it doesn't save it to the other one. That's a little thing, in case you guys were wondering. Chris, are you here today? Is, is Seed up here today? No. no, he's not. Okay. Well, we hired Chris Wachter as associate pastor of South Site Management, and we hired Michael Deverell as associate pastor of worship and outreach for the South Site. And we are getting very excited about what God is going to, be, going to be doing in this whole South Site endeavor. As many of you know, we are starting another church this fall with an idea, hard to do with, with an idea that it would be one church, but over time it would become two. And so they'll join our staff. Uh, we'll be under one budget. Uh, everything will be run financially through one office. We'll keep kind of track where things are going. But eventually the goal is is this church that went out of business about two years ago, is that we'd be able to do a restart of that church in a very viable, exciting neighborhood, South Minneapolis. Anybody familiar with the Riverview Theater? We, nobody wants to raise their hands because they're sweating. Uh, but <laughs> that's why we're black. Nobody could tell. Uh, it's right by the Riverview Theater, four blocks away. And it's in a very exciting uh, neighborhood over there. So we're going to be starting that starting this fall. If you're new to us, we are in a series right now uh, on the Gospel of John. And I want to kind of give you a little bit of a heads up here 
for where we've come so far. So if, if you're brand new to us and you don't know anything about the Gospel of John, it's fine. You're going to get about a, a three, four minute version of where we've come from so far. The first 18 verses are just kind of introduction. And then we, after that, we started looking at this second section here, Gospel of John Part 2, meeting Jesus Christ through his signs and ministry. We're going to see seven signs. We're counting them. Different people count them a little bit differently. We're going to call them seven. Seven major signs where that Jesus Christ will show that he's worth it. He's a treasure worth following. That he's the Savior. That he's Lord. That he's worth it. We're going to see that in a variety of different ways. So, like I said, the first 18 verses were kind of uh, just introduction. Spent a few weeks on looking at that. Then we met one of my favorite guys in all the Bible. We met John the Baptist. Oh, now there... <laughs> Come on, Maddie, get it right. What's wrong with you? How do, where did I insert that? What's up with that? All right. No, go back one. I'm going to use this and make this seamless. The guy on the right there looks like John the Baptist, actually. <laughs> and John the Baptist's brother and two sister-in-law. So that's Michael and Chris in the wrong place. So go to the next one there. John the Baptist preaching it up. Oh, not there. Go one more. <laughs> John the Baptist preaching it up. Go back here. The next one there, Maddie. That we said he would look. I think John the Baptist would look like Gimli. I think that's the way he'd be. And uh, somebody told me this morning, I need to do it one more time. But John the Baptist, I'm sure, would speak in an, just like Gimli. And he'd preach, you brood of vipers. You, there's destined the deepest, darkest corners of hell for you. I could just see him doing that. And he's a hardcore guy. And he became a rock star. In the first couple chapters of the book of John, we see this. And it's only... Uh, when Jesus comes on the scene officially, the people start to wonder what's going to happen between John, who's now this guy out in the desert who people like crazy are flocking to, what's going to happen to his ministry and his following? Is he so into his televangelism stuff that he's going to miss Jesus? And he doesn't. Time after time after time, he points people to Jesus and it culminates in what a famous quote I want to quote from John the Baptist is John 3.30 where he tells his disciples, he, pointing to Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. It's great. Great quote. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible to think about, even my own life. Your goal in life is to be a pointer to Jesus for others, is one of them. One of your goals. He must become greater. I must become less. Then we met another guy. We met a guy, oh, excuse me, that's right. Back up, back up. Easy now. Easy on that finger there, trigger. Uh, this is uh, Jesus after that. We saw the first sign. The first sign was when he changed water into wine. And he, uh, it was an amazing account where he goes to this party. It's a, it's a wedding celebration. They run out of wine. Jesus makes, changes water into wine. It's not only just regular old wine. It's really, really good wine, according to the people who are wineologists at the place. Then after that, he goes into the temple. And he... Uh, clears this temple of money changers and people who are trying to financially make profit off of God. That is very bad, by the way. Making profit off of God has just never been looked at as a good thing. And always be wary of when people are making God into a market. You always have to be careful of that. Now, does that mean that it's wrong to publish Bibles, Bible publishers? No. But you got to be really careful with that. You're playing with fire. 
Make, using God as a way to market your, your goods and your whatever is, is you got to be careful with that. Anyway, Jesus goes into the temple. He sees these people making a profit off of uh, the temple and selling different things. And he gets a, a cord. And this is, this is a pretty mild one. I've seen where the cord is long. And Jesus got this whip. And he clears these tables. That was what we're called the second sign. The next one there. Jesus has an encounter. In John chapter 3 is an encounter with a religious ruler by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a, a, a teacher, a higher up in the, in the uh, stratus of religious rulers of the day. He comes to Jesus and he says, I know that you're a teacher sent by God. Well, can, because no one could be doing what you're doing unless he was sent by God. And Jesus just, I love the way Jesus talks to people. He just says, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. It's just this amazing conversation that he throws at him. And it keeps going back and forth, back and forth. And it culminates in another great quote here. John 3.16. You all know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. Different versions have it different ways. So, and that's what's said to Nicodemus. Great passage. Now, after that, we go from Nicodemus to seeing Jesus interact with the Samaritan woman. Samaritans were half-breeds. Jews and Gentiles, or Jews and and, and Samaritans did not hang out together, but Jesus goes and she hangs out. He hangs out with this woman by the well. She should not be talking to him because she's a Samaritan and she's a she. Okay, in that culture was no good. And yet Jesus talks to this woman and eventually bypasses a lot of the sin in her life completely. Doesn't even bring it up. Doesn't even bring it up as a a matter of trying to indict her. And she says, you must be the Savior. And he tells her plainly, I who you speak of am he. She goes back and tells her friends about Jesus. They come back. They ask Jesus to stay a couple days. He does. And then this happens uh, Cor preached on this last week, um, or two weeks ago, excuse me, verse 41. And it says, because of his words, because of Jesus' words, many more became believers. Then they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Okay, so Jesus is coming off this major high, what just happened there in Samaria, which is a place that you don't think Jesus would be going to, and he does, and amazing things happen. And now we're going to see him shift into what we're going to call the third sign. It's the second miraculous sign, but it's the third sign if you count the temple cleansing. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to John chapter 4, uh, verses 43 to 54. If you don't have any, you use one in front of you, you can check on the screen. Or there's little booklets, I think, laying around still of the Gospel of John. Those are yours to keep if you'd like them. John chapter 4. I'm going to read this through once, and then I'm going to walk you through kind of what's going on. I I want to read it through, though, because... uh, There's some stuff I want to refer to ahead of time, and unless you see it, you won't see it. Okay, John 4, 43 to 53, 4. After the two days that he was with the people in Samaria, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana and Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there, 
was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus, oh, excuse me, I, that's a typo, typo, typo. Don't have the rest of it. Sorry, I'll get it. Just one second, one second, one second. Okay, it says, then after this, you, you will never believe. The royal official says in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Verse 51, it's, I don't think it's on the screen. Uh, while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son had gotten better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believe. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Okay. I want you to see the whole thing there. And I apologize about missing a slide there at the end. But just kind of get a feel for the whole thing that's going on as we take a look at this kind of chunk by chunk. Let's take the first chunk. Jesus is on the move. He's going from Samaria into the regions of Galilee. If you look at verses 43 to 45, he goes there. Now, this is where I wanted you to read this. This is a little bit confusing. It says he leaves for Galilee. Then he says, it's in parentheses, it says Jesus had said that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Okay, now if you just stop right there, it makes total sense. And this is one of those points where you just have to kind of, it's, John is a little bit tricky sometimes. Uh, Jesus is from Nazareth. Nazareth is in Galilee. So we're, we're doing great so far, right? So he says he's leaving this area and he's going into Galilee, which is his hometown. And he says a prophet receives no honor there. And that makes sense. But then verse 45 comes and makes you scratch your head. When he arrives there, what do the people do? Oh, it's Jesus! Okay, that, what's going on here? That, that's weird. Because he didn't he just say he's not going to get honor there? So there, people have come up with three solutions to this problem. I'm not really sold on any of the three. I think I'm the third. Which, of course, you always, anytime any presenter ever says there's three, it's always the bed is too hard, the bed is too soft, the bed is just right. That's the way I'm going to do it. I think it's the third, but I'm not sure. The first one is, is that Jesus could be referring here to his home being Jerusalem. Being a prophet and being from, uh, oftentimes going to Jerusalem, maybe he was referring that Jerusalem. I don't like that because that doesn't seem to make any sense to what we're reading here. The second one makes even less sense to me. People have said that it's possible Jesus is saying that he's from heaven and that anything outside of heaven he will receive no honor. Well, that's nice theologically, but I don't see that anywhere in the passage. The one that makes the most sense to me is that Jesus is actually saying that anywhere in, he's leaving Samaria, which is not his home, and any Jewish countries, uh, regions, they could not countries, uh, like Galilee, Judea, any one of those, he was going there, and now he's on his own turf. Now, if that's true, and that's what I think it's true, you have to interpret a little bit when he says that they welcome him, that that welcome was, had a little bit of shoe, uh, strings attached to it. And where I'm getting this from and why I read the whole passage to you was because when Jesus says they come to him and they, they, he asks for his son to be healed, 
And it's an interesting answer. We'll look at this in just a minute. The answer is you won't believe unless you get signs. Right? It's kind of a weird thing to say. You won't believe unless you get signs. So I think he's rebuking them. I think he's saying, you guys just like the show. Because that's what it says here. It says, they had seen, in verse 45, they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Whoa, man, you know, you do that water to wine thing, that's awesome, and the, the, all the stuff that you can do, that's amazing. Do that, do it, come on, ha, show us the show. I think that's what's going on here when Jesus is on the move. Actually, it's kind of a moot point, but I thought I'd bring it up. Okay, now, the real important stuff starts at verse 46. It says, he once more he visited Canaan and Galilee, where he turned the water into wine, and there was at this place, it says, a certain royal official. Now, that's, the phrase means a king's guy. This guy was tight with the king, probably Herod, we don't know for sure. L literally, it means king's guy or king's servant. We don't know how high up the food chain, but you had to be pretty high up the food chain to be a king's servant. This is a big shot. He probably, not for sure, but probably wasn't even Jewish. Because he was in the service of the king. So here you got this big shot coming. And he comes from Capernaum. His son lay sick in Capernaum. When, when this man heard about it, he went to him and he begs Jesus to come and heal him. Now, this is a huge thing. First of all, to make the trip, to make the trip from Capernaum to Cana, it was about a day's journey of 14 miles. People walked. 14 miles. The trip was mostly uphill. Because uh, 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 Capernaum was 700 feet below, or 700 feet below sea level, and, and, and the other one is roughly at it. So it's 700 feet that they have to go up. If he left that morning at sunrise, and about two miles, a little over two and a half miles, about 14 miles, he would have made it there 12, 12, 30, 1 o'clock, something like that, which will make sense as we look at the rest of the passage. So he walked probably all day to get there. But you can't, on the way back, he can't go back that same evening. You don't travel those roads once dinner time comes. So he had, the trip back took more time. Now think about that trip. Think about that trip. Try to get your mind in, in, inside the mind of this official. Here's this guy. His son is sick. His son has got some illness where it's approaching death. And he is desperate. He's completely desperate. Think of him on that journey on that road. The roads look something like this. Go ahead, Maddie. He's walking that road, and every footprint he's thinking, he's heard that Jesus is around. He's thinking, this may be my last shot. This might be my only shot. You know, we kind of get the impression sometimes, I think we forget that these are real people. Just think about this now. This guy's son is lying there. He's going to die. And he's thinking, where can I go? What can I do? I'll do anything for my son. And he walks over. He takes the 14-mile trip. This is probably his one, he's playing his only card. By the time he comes back, his son will probably be dead. He's saying, I'm doing this one. There's all these options that I could do. I'm choosing this one. When David was about three years old, I had one of these moments. I was working on something uh, in the back of an old pickup truck that I had that was parked uh, in back by my house. 
And I did not realize that David was about three, and, and he was just tall enough to reach up and get the door handle. And he followed me, and I didn't know he followed me. And what had happened is I went around to the back of the pickup, and this is behind our gate. So I left, I opened the gate. He could, wasn't tall enough to reach the gate. I left the gate open, and I went around the truck like this, got something out of the back of the truck, and for some odd reason, I'm not sure exactly why, but I looped around like that, came back and closed the gate. I didn't know he was following me. What's that? You're fixing my story? He was one and a half? Really? He could just barely walk then, eh? Oh, man, makes it worse. All right, he was one and a half. And I didn't know he'd followed me. And so I went around, and when I came back through, I said, I better close the gate. I don't want David to wander outside. So I shut the gate. Now, he's already behind me, following me out, you know, waddle, 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 while I walked around the other way. I had shut the gate. He's now locked out of our yard. And I went in the house. And I'm talking to some guy about, I don't remember what it was, some client or I was doing a business back then. Or I don't know what I was doing, but I'm talking to some guy. 15, 20 minutes go by, and Carol says to me, where's David? I said, I don't know. I haven't seen David. This look on her face. You're, you're big and pregnant with the second one, right? Yeah, that's right. Do not anger a big and pregnant woman. I said, I, I, haven't, I have no idea where he went. 15 or 20 minutes have gone by. All of a sudden, we scour the house. He's not in the house. Look in the backyard. He's not there. There's a moment of sheer panic. I mean, he's gone. I live half a block off Lake Street. It's a busy street. Fourteen years later, I still can't tell the story. <clears throat> I get on my bike, and I start running around the, the neighborhood. I am desperate for my son. That's what's going through this guy. He is desperate for his son. He'll do anything. He comes and sees Jesus, and he asks Jesus, and it looks like Jesus doesn't respond because he starts begging. He is on his hands and knees begging Jesus to do something. Do you understand how, how <clears throat> at that moment he let everything go? He's this big official. Maybe he's got his big official uniform on. doesn't care. At this moment, it's about his son. And he's begging Jesus, do something for me here. Do something for me. Jesus' answer is amazing. Jesus' answer is Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Now, the you there is a plural you. If you're from the south, it's a y'all. So unless y'all see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus tells him. So he's speaking to him, but he's speaking for the crowd, really. He's saying you won't believe. They won't, y'all won't believe. The guy's response back to him is, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not talking about belief here. I got a sick kid 14 miles away. You're my last shot. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. And then Jesus does this amazing thing. Look at the first half of verse 50. He says, he looks at him and he says, You can go. Your son will live. 
Now think about that. Here's the guy that, at least from reports, that you know if he touches him, boom, he's healed. I've never seen him do the long distance thing. I just know if you do the touchy thing, woof, they're healed. And you're telling me I can go? I don't know, man. I don't know. I want to see the touch thing. I know that works. I want to go to the pharmacy of the Jesus touch. I don't want... I don't know. But Jesus, I think, is applying exactly what he said. He's looking at the crowd and saying, unless you see signs, you won't believe. Then he looks right at the guy and says, go ahead. He'll live. So what does the guy do? Look at the second half. It says, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Took Jesus at his word. I've never seen you do the long distance thing. In fact, there's not many times recorded in scripture where this long distance healing takes place. He takes him at his word. And he goes, what's the result of taking Jesus at his word? Verse 51, while he was still, this is the the royal official, while he's still on his way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judah to Galilee. Let me ask you a question as we close this morning. Where are you on that journey? Think of yourself as that government official. Where are you at in that journey right now? And I I think this is a repetitive thing. When I was looking for my son, I can tell you where I was. I was running that 14 miles to Jesus. There was no problems with my prayer life from the moment I knew he was gone until we found him. And then for an hour or so afterwards. There was no problem. All the barriers were gone. Oh, I don't have any time. I got time. I'm motivated here. Where are you at right now? Are you in that, are you in that aspect right now? Are you in that period like this government official where something going on in your life where you're coming to Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, if you don't, if you don't do this, I don't know how it's going to happen. Maybe you're in that period right now where you're talking to Jesus. Right now you're in the period where you are face to face with him and you're begging him for something. Maybe you're in the period where Jesus responds to you and he says the words you probably don't want to hear. I'm not going to show you the answer right now, but trust me. Or maybe you're in that moment where you've decided to say, Lord, I will trust you. I do not see it, but I will trust you, and I'll walk back home. Where are you at in that? Where are you at in that? Let's pray together. Jesus, I know that um, just by praying through the cards, I know that in this room there are people who are going through a period of desperation. Illnesses, 
job changes, relationships that have gone south, sin that they never thought that they would get involved with has crept in and has radically changed them and they are desperate right now. They are on that 14 mile journey from Capernaum to Cana right now and they are coming to you. So Lord God, for those people in this room right now that are seeking you and are desperate, Lord, would you show them yourself? Lord, I pray for those of us who are right now being challenged with talking to you face to face and you giving us straight answers from your word or from your spirit just speaking to us. God, that you'd grant us the faith when you finally look at us and say, you need to trust me. I'm not going to show you this the way you expected to see it. You just need to trust me. God, you give us the faith and the courage to just like this guy who, who possibly didn't know anything else about you, the word says he took you at his word. Took Jesus at his word. God, would you give us that kind of grace? There's more promises in this Bible than we can possibly fathom for a lifetime. Would you help us to just take you at your word and then to have the courage to walk back home. So Jesus Christ, by your spirit, you can do amazing things even as we sing these last songs. You can minister to us in ways that would blow us away. You could, you could heal and touch and do wondrous things right in front of us. But Lord, you could also do just like this man. You could tell us to trust you for something we're going to see in the future. Would you grant us the grace and the courage when those days come? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.